Log Talk Radio. And welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight, uh, this November 3rd of, of uh, 2016, just, uh, I believe, five days away from, uh, from the election coming up the next Tuesday. Uh, so I know lots of you are, are tuning in, I'm sure, to uh, uh, make your final decisions on what you're going to do or what direction some of you, I'm sure, already have. So, um, But um, thank you for joining me tonight on the show, and, and good luck next week uh, with the, uh, the election. Um, I just want to remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 uh, for those of you on the East Coast and uh, 4 to 6 for those of you uh, under Pacific time. I want to thank you for joining me here on blogtalkradio.com's Golf Talk Live. And uh, just a quick note uh, for those of you that aren't able to tune in live and maybe going to be joining us a little bit later on, just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down the page till you see the on-demand section and tonight's uh, broadcast will be there in the recorded version. You can tune in a little bit later. Um, for those of you who want to call in or speak to the guests at any time during the broadcast, you can do so by calling area code 646-716-4667. Uh, and you can also email any questions or comments about the show to ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And, of course, I always update on social media, on Facebook, and uh, also on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO. CEO, of course, is in capital letters. Uh, I've got a special show tonight. Um, joining me, of course, is a, a trio of great professionals. Uh, first up, of course, is Allison Kurt. She's been on the show many, many times, as well as uh, my next guest, Michael Wheeler. And uh, new this year to the panel, but uh, been on a number of times as well, is, of course, Brandon Stooksbury. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about them in just here in a quick second. Uh, but then later in the show, I'm going to be joined by a guy that actually reached out to me fairly recently. He was very eager to come on the show. Uh, he's also a, a PGA member and a professional, a Peter Egazarian. And he's a teaching professional up in the Taconic Golf Club in Williamstown, uh, Massachusetts. He's going to be joining me the second hour of the show. Uh, but as always, uh, the first hour, of course, we start off with Coach's Corner. Except for last week, as I was just telling the guys off air, uh, unfortunately, my panel um, had to back out uh, last minute. Uh, one of them, actually, I wasn't sure if they were still going to come on or not. And uh, due to some unforeseen uh, circumstances. So I apologize for my ramblings for the first hour last week. Uh, for those of you who don't want to go through that uh, a harrowing journey. Just fast forward to the first um, hour to, into the second hour, and you can listen to my great guests uh, last week, which was Tom Stickney and, of course, uh, Mr. Chuck Evans. Great interview with the two of those guys on there uh, last week. But as I said, I've got a great panel discussion coming up here on Coach's Corner. First up, of course, is Allison Kirk. Uh, she's a PJ Master Professional Instruction and an LPJ Class A uh, member as well. She's one of 11 women to achieve the highest uh, PJ credential earned by an instructor. Uh, of course, I'm referring to Master Professional. Uh, she's got over 27 years of golf competition background and has recently played in three LPJ Tour uh, majors. Uh, she earned the 2015 L, uh, LPJ Teacher and Club Professionals National Teacher of the Year honor 
as well as the LPGA Teacher and Club Professionals Western Section Teacher of the Year Award in 2012 and 2015, and was voted in 2015 the Southern, Southern California PGA Northern Chapter uh, Teacher of the Year as well. Uh, she contributes to Golf Tips uh, magazine and has been featured numerous times, of course, on the Golf Channel. And currently, she's the Director of Instruction at the Wood Ranch Golf Club and is the Assistant Women's Golf Coach at California State University in Northridge. Uh, currently, she also practices as a marriage and family therapist registered intern. And uh, while she's doing that, of course, she's completing her doctorate degree in, athletic, uh, in, excuse me, in clinical psychology uh, with emphasizing, of course, on sports psychology. And, of course, next in line is Mr. Michael Wheeler, uh, owner of the Michael Wheeler Learning Center, which is based out of Reading, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philly. Uh, recently, he was uh, selected excuse me, by Golf Digest as one of the America's best young teachers, uh, and that's coming out in this issue, uh, November issue, actually, which I believe is currently on the newsstands. Uh, he's also a PGA certified professional in teaching and coaching, uh, TrackMan Level 2 instructor, KVS Level 2 instructor, and certified uh, golf biomechanist, um, also smart to move ambassador as well as right balance instructor. And last but certainly not least is Mr. Brandon Stukesbury. He's the director of instruction at the prestigious Idle Hour Club in Macon, Georgia, and he's ranked in Golf Digest Best in State Instructor Rankings for Georgia and was honored in 2015 Central Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year and specializes, of course, in competitive player development and enjoys teaching players of all levels from beginner to the PGA Tour. And let me just add one more thing here, um, and you guys are certainly welcome to chime in. I believe uh, Allison and Brandon, you also were recognized this year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in Golf Digest. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Yes, that is correct. And um, what was the what was it uh, for this year, uh, Allison? So I also made the best young instructor list for 2016-2017, as Michael did. Oh, okay, perfect. And Brandon, what about yourself? Yeah, same here. Oh, okay, perfect. I, I knew that you all had been recognized. I know I'd seen it through uh, social media, but I just couldn't remember for sure. And I know Michael had mentioned that uh, in his notes to me earlier that all three of you uh, had been recognized this year. So congratulations, first off. Um, very, very uh, prestigious honor to be recognized by uh, those in the profession and also by uh, the media as well. So uh, congratulations for that as well. Um, Guys, one of the questions I asked you off air, just so that you give you a moment or two to kind of prepare a little bit, and Allison, we're going to uh, go ladies first here and start with you. I'd like for each of you just take a moment or two, if you wouldn't mind, and maybe just talk about some of the valuable tips that you may have received, um, that you remember receiving throughout your career, that sort of helped you uh, to get to where you are today. Uh, and it can certainly be from a fellow instructor, it can be from a uh, family member, or maybe it might even be from a student that you were working with, um, some tips that they may have given you that have helped make you the person that you are today uh, in your profession. So, Allison, let's start with you and then Michael and then Brandon. So one of the best pieces of advice, which I guess could be considered a tip that I received, was actually sure. from one of my basketball coaches in high school, and he had a a saying that he would tell the team about make an adjustment. And the way that through my four years of high school and, and being under his influence, the way that he would always talk about this term, make an adjustment, was applicable in so many different ways, in athletics, in life, in academia, um, in interactions with others. And so I sort of made it like my, my own homage thing. Um, even over college, I had an engraved sign over my door. So every time I left my room, it was a reminder of how to make an adjustment. And so when you're faced with adversity, 
there's so many different ways to deal with it, and sometimes we just kind of back into a corner and, and say, oh, woe is me. But if you make an adjustment, and whether that's shifting your mind, shifting your perspective, then you can get through, you know, tough times when it, uh, when it counts. And I think it also really helps in the golf game as well. So sometimes right. we have players that really try to do something over and over and over and expect different results, and we all know that that's the definition of, of psychosis. And making an adjustment <laughs> and doing something different I think it's just been right. something that's really been, been lifelong for me. The other piece that has really been helpful, um, and I'm not sure quite where I picked it up, but I'm sure many people have influenced me over the years with this, is is people are going to be left with not what you say, but how you make them feel. And right. so I really transfer that over to my teaching. I think that's something that's made me successful, is especially in psychology and in golf, is how I make people feel. When you're in that moment and you're spending time with somebody, it's less about how to correct a slice and how to shift your center of pressure and, and all that, and it's more about how they leave your lesson to you feeling about themselves. So those are the two best tips that um, I think I really take with me day-to-day through my work. Well said, and uh, certainly um, some very valuable information um, for those of you tuning into the show as well to to certainly take heed to a great, great job, Allison. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Michael, what about you? Um, and, and again, uh, let me just clarify, you know, Allison raised a, a great point. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I guess you'd classify as a tip. It could be advice as well. Uh, but just something or somebody that, that maybe um, shared some, some comments or, or statement or, uh, or some advice uh, similar to what Allison has just mentioned um, that's really helped you uh, to become a better uh, teacher, or coach, uh, instructor in, in golf. Yeah, I think um, probably the, the best advice that I've gotten was one of the first things that I heard coming into the golf business after playing for a while. And I was listening to Michael Breed give a speech at the PGA show uh, in 2011. And he was talking about, you know, in, instruction, everybody has their own way of doing things and that's great. And, uh, you know, people are going to react differently to the way you instruct and, the biggest thing of all of that is to not worry about what other people think about you. Just do your research, learn as much mm-hmm. as you can, always be learning. That's the, the, another piece of this is from Ted Sheftick is a good friend of mine and great instructor in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, always be learning. And, um, you know, but uh, the only, what Michael Breed said that I am constantly reminded of is that there's really only one person's opinion that matters. And that's, your significant other or your, or your family. And that's, that's really, that's it. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what anybody else has to say about you. Um, and, and from a golf perspective, I, I think you can apply it for both instruction because a lot of instructors, you know, at times in our career will take heat for certain things that you say, because you may believe something that somebody else doesn't believe, which is perfectly fine. Right. That's why, you know, it's, it, I, I enjoy doing what I do because you can, have a, a personalized aspect and look to, uh, at instruction and it can still work for somebody. Um, but it also frees you up from a playing perspective because you don't really care what other people think anymore. Too many people go into a golf tournament or the club championship or a round of golf saying, man, I don't want to shoot 90 today because I don't want to embarrass myself. Well, who cares right. what, they, what they think? And in a week they're going to forget about it anyway. So, um, and Alice, I'm sure you're going to remember this since we were both at the, uh, the LPGA conference just this week in Vegas. Um, another quote 
that re- kind of reminded me of this one. It's one of my favorite quotes, and uh, the first speaker brought it up. Um, it's a Walt Disney quote uh, that all our dreams come true if we have the courage to pursue them. So to me, that, go, that goes hand in hand. You have the courage mm-hmm. to pursue whatever you're trying to do, um, but also if you know somebody gives you flack for something that you did or if you have a bad round of golf and somebody says something, who cares? Just yep. forget about it. Move on. doesn't matter what they think. All that matters is what, you know, your your family thinks and how you are as a person. So that that's something that I think about on a on a pretty regular basis and I kinda try to focus everything I do around that is, you know, just focus on, you know, family first, you know, or I should say God first, family second, so on. You know, it's just it, you know, just go through and it doesn't matter what other people think, just do your thing. Well said. Um, you're exactly right, Michael, and uh, great points as well. I think that you have to, um, you know, you have to sort of look at your internal dialogue. And, and if you're listening to too many people, I mean, it's great to pick up some advice and tips from others, but sometimes it can be negative. And if you allow it to become part of your internal dialogue, uh, it can certainly do, um, you know, irreparable damage. So great points, both of you. And certainly last but not least, Brandon, what about you? Uh, obviously, I'm sure you've had opportunities to uh, along your journey so far uh, to pick up some some advice or some tips from from maybe some of your fellow uh, pros or or maybe even from some students uh, that have helped you uh, navigate your journey in, in this uh, in this career. So share some of that with us if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I, you know Michael hit on it earlier, and I'll I'll kind of I'll kind of echo it. I, I had a I kind of have an, an affinity for quotes, um, and I have them kind of all over my my house and and my learning center. I grew up in East Tennessee, uh, right outside of Knoxville. And most people, most people don't know, but the first atomic bomb was built just outside of Knoxville in a town called Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And, uh, I had a professor in college who had a quote that he would always keep with him. Um, he kept it in his wallet and it's a long story how I knew it was in his wallet, but it was by a guy named William Pollard, and w- William Pollard was the one that started the Oak Ridge National Institute of Science that was later founded uh, the Y-12 Institute, which went on to build the first atomic bomb. And the point I'm making is William Pollard had this quote um, that this professor would always share, and the quote goes, learning and innovation go hand in hand. The arrogance of success is to think that what you did yesterday will be sufficient for tomorrow. Um, wow. And for my entire career, that has always stuck with me. Um, and and my, Michael said it, you know, ever, you know, Michael said it earlier, never stop learning. If you get up every day and try to be better than you were the day before, you will succeed at the end. Um, yep. I firmly believe that. I live my life by that every day. Um, much to Allison's point, that quote is on a sign that hangs in my learning center. I encourage all my staff to read it, to understand it, to to live by it. Um, and I'm a firm believer. If you, if you, I mean, if you get up every day with that attitude, I don't know how you can lose. You might have setbacks, but I don't know how you lose. Um, and so I'll leave it at that. That's probably been the most powerful, powerful thing in my career. Well said uh, as well, uh, Brandon. Thank you uh, again for sharing that. And uh, maybe a little bit later on tonight after uh, you get off the show, maybe you can email me that quote. That's a good one. I might use that myself. 
Um, well said, guys. Thank you for sharing that. And the reason why I want I wanted to, sh- to have you guys share something like that, and you know, it's not necessarily going to uh, improve somebody's golf swing or necessarily help their golf game, but I wanted people to really understand that even though you're at a high level uh, in this game, um, we're all human and we all react and interact the same way. Um, some of us, of course, that uh, work in this industry uh, have the benefits of having access to information that helps us to understand uh, golf a little bit better, and that's why we want to share that knowledge with our students. And I want them to understand that, hey, we're just like they are. It's just that we're a little bit better equipped in understanding the golf swing and understanding uh, how to navigate around the golf course. And But at the same time, we are all still human. Although I think a lot of people are very intimidated uh, sometimes, especially new new golfers working with instructors. They're you know a little bit apprehensive, a little bit intimidated. Uh, they don't want to, as uh, I think Michael you mentioned about, they don't want to look foolish out there in the golf course or out in the, the practice tee. So uh, I just wanted them to know that hey, we all uh, have have pretty much the same thoughts and feelings as, as each other, and um, that was kind of why I wanted to approach uh, the tonight's session with that uh, particular question. Um, moving on, I want to go on to the next question here, which is getting into uh, a little bit about teaching methods. Um, and I want you guys to sort of explain, and Michael, I'm going to start very quickly with you. And, and obviously because of time, we, we've got to sort of be mindful of time a little bit uh, and not get too long in our answers. But um, how does teaching beginners, um, in your opinion, differ from teaching some of the more advanced players? Is there a difference between teaching uh, a beginning golfer uh, and as opposed to an advanced uh, player, and what are some of the differences that uh, that may be involved? Michael, I'll start with you, and then Brandon, and then Allison. Yeah, I think there. I think it's different. Uh, I mean, you know, beginner, and it, uh, I think a lot of it comes down to why is the beginner coming into the game? It, you know, is it, you know, are you teaching a, a a new female to the game who wants to just go out and have some fun socially with? with their girlfriends, drink some wine and have a good time? Or is it a guy that, you know, type A personality, never played before, but, you know, wants to learn how to play and eventually be good at it, you know, but you still approach it from the basics, grip, stance, posture, alignment, just, you know, whereas with a better player, you're still going to be doing that stuff. I mean, I, you know, when I work with my better players, I have a couple mini tour players that I work with down in Florida and they were still always looking at the basics. But for the most part, they have it down, and most of the time, there. I mean, there are obviously are exceptions, and you know, I guess you could say the most favorite, most common phrase in golf instruction is "it depends." <laughs> but um, right, you know, we're still always looking at that the those basic setup alignments to make sure because you know, I I truly believe that most of most of issues that happen in the golf swing, a lot of them can be fixed by setup, by setting them up with proper foot flare, by setting them up with proper ball position, proper grip, you know, things that match their body. I, I personally don't teach a method per se. I, I, I believe everybody's built differently. Uh, I've had a chance to, to study a little bit with, with Mike Adams and EA Tischler and their biswing dynamics course is an excellent course is easily the best seminar certification that I've been to. Um, and been to it multiple times, and I'm always learning something from them. Um, but you know, once you get to that upper level, I'm using more. You know, you're, you're. If you're looking at the technical aspect, you're trying to refine things and make weaknesses strengths. Um, and then, but the the most important factor of it, and 
uh, you know, I, I played mini tour golf for a little bit, and this is where I lacked is the mental side of it. it you know, if you don't mm-hmm. believe that you can do it at that level, you're not going to do it. It's, it's, there, there's no way, there's no two ways about it. It's you either believe you can, or you believe you can't. And you have to make sure that you work harder than the guy hitting balls next to you. So, right. you know, when you get to that better player level, there's a lot more facets that go into it. But from a beginner perspective, it really depends to me on what their goals are. I always ask the student, what, hey, what are your goals? What do you, you know, what do you want to do with the game? Are you just looking mm-hmm. to go out and have fun? Or do you want to get down to, you know, 10, 12 single-digit handicap? You right. Know, so kind of depends on what they're looking for. Um, but even still, we're still going to start with, you know, obviously basic, good grip, good posture, good alignment, those things you can always control. So right. you got to start there. Good, good comments and good, uh, good thoughts. Um, Brandon, what about uh, you from your uh, perspective and your teaching methods? Um, obviously I'm, I'm sure you can touch on some of the stuff that Michael has just mentioned, but um, what are some of the differences in your opinion, uh, working with junior golfers or sorry, uh, beginning golfers, uh, and how do they differ from teaching some of the more advanced players? Is is the whole philosophy a little bit different or the approach different on how you handle a beginning player as opposed to an advanced player? Well, cer- certainly the – certainly the philo- I don't know about the philosophy. Certainly the approach differs. I mean, my answer is going to be pretty similar to Michael. I mean, I, when you get a beginner golfer, it's all about building skill, right? And so mm-hmm. if you think about – if you think about breaking – not only the game of golf down into a skill, meaning you got full swing skills, you have short game skills, you have putting skills. You could even break the full swing down into skills. Setup would certainly be a skill, the skill that has to be taught. Learning how to pivot properly is a skill that has to be taught. Learning how to have a, you know, a, the, the the dynamics of the golf club moving through impact has a, it's a skill. Learning how to deliver a forward leaning shaft that's a skill, and so. I think when you're teaching beginning golfers, you have to build, introduce, and build and develop skill, right? Those golfers don't have any concept of how all those pieces work together to get a golf ball in the air and flying in the general direction of the target. Uh, and so I think that's where you have to start with those guys. When you By the time you get into more advanced golfers, they, they have decent, uh, sometimes very good, control over those skills. So it becomes about skill development and or mm-hmm. refinement. And to, to Michael's point, it, you know, metrics become very important when I'm talking to an advanced player, meaning understanding the expectation we should have for the number of greens we're, you know, we're supposed to hit in regulation, how good we're supposed to be putting from 8 feet, from 5 feet, from 20 feet, right, how, how to manage your game on the golf course, how to – how to look at your stats and how to determine what your weaknesses are so that we're always developing weaknesses instead of working on strengths. And so I, certainly I think the philosophy of how you approach teaching those people differs. Um, and then how you train that skill really has everything to do with where they are on the level of mastery for those particular skills. Um, and so I, I would say this, you know, beginning golfers, you, you, you know, you teach a lot of the precision of the hands and the arms to control the golf club. You, you know, not that the body's not important. It certainly is, and it's placement and position. But at the end of the day, the, the, the hands and the arms to deliver the golf club and the precision of that strike. And as you, as you grow into a golfer, the body becomes more involved, and you start learning more complex body motions. 
and you introduce the other skills. And by the time they get to the advanced level, they understand how to move their body. It's about refining ball flight. Um, right. And, and so, you know, I, I think I think it's I think it's very different in that respect. Right. Well said. Um, Allison, I, I want to just tweak the question just a little bit, um, just to give you an opportunity to maybe uh, go into a slightly different area. Uh, obviously, I think it's, it's, it's pretty safe to say that there obviously are some difference uh, in uh, working with a beginning golfer and, and, of course, some of our more advanced uh, players out there. Um, but is there a process that has to happen first to ascertain really what level they're at? What, what process do you, do you implement if you have two students coming to you you've never worked with before, one obviously is a beginner and one is more advanced, What's the, walk us through the process that you initiate with each player in order to ascertain what level or what skill level they're at, and then how do you go from there? Well, that information gets revealed in the interview process. And when I first meet a student, we have a pretty in-depth conversation about who this person is getting to know what their goals are, why are they here at the lesson tee, why are they choosing to work with me. And I think through their vocabulary and how they answer certain questions, I start to formulate a a little bit of a profile about what their skill level is. But without making any assumptions, I really meet the student where they're at. And based on based on how they feel their game is, they're pretty much telling me whether they're a beginner or they're a super advanced player. I think also in this age of metrics, we're so fascinated with trying to measure things. So a handicap is one way to measure what someone's ability is. Now, granted, there can be very, very experienced players who may have a 30 handicap, but I think when a student says, well, I'm a five handicap, and they start talking about club pass and, and face and how their body is moving in space, they have the lingo and the, and the words that seem to fit right. more of an advanced player compared to a student who may still have the wrapper on their golf clubs and they're asking which hand <laughs> the glove goes on. Then I can start to say, okay, this might be someone that needs a bit more experience. So from right. that, I then start to customize what their plan might be. So they're, they're telling me what their skill set is and they're revealing how much they know just in how they answer my questions. And so if I have a beginner golfer, my communication is going to match them. So we're going to check in. Just like learning a foreign language, you start to learn um, different words for different meanings. You might start with numbers. You might start with learning the alphabet. And you begin building these pieces of the golf swing. And so I start by introducing them to some basic vocabulary and what do certain things mean in terms of clubs and, and what does grip mean, what does stance mean. And we begin building their golf swing. On the other side, an advanced player will most likely already have those building blocks set, and my job might be more to help fine-tune and calibrate what they already have. So certainly some differences in my process is, is different, but it all comes down to gathering that information from that crucial interview as I build rapport with them to see what level they are at. Right. Because a lot of people don't want to, and that's a great point, because I, I think that that process obviously is extremely important during the interview uh, stage of things, because a lot of players do embellish a little bit about, uh, some are very honest and say, you know, by the way, I stink. Um, but then there's those players out there that, that try to, 
you know, learn a little bit of the lingo, as you said, and, and try to, you know, not look as, as foolish, if you will, I guess is the word to use. Um, but they may not necessarily have the skill level to match uh, the lingo that they're using. So uh, I think it's important to get a, a good gauge of, of where the student is literally at uh, a little more accurately uh, before you, you end up implementing whatever your program is going to be. Okay, I want to move into, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I want to move into a little bit more of discussion. And Brandon, we're going to start with you on this one, and then uh, Allison, and then, and then Michael. Um, in the junior side of things, uh, obviously, uh, and, and, and just as I mentioned to you guys off air, if for some reason uh, the particular question doesn't apply specifically to whatever programs you're, you're currently doing uh, at your facilities, you're welcome to you know, plug in a, a similar scenario. Um, but I, I want to talk about junior players that are maybe uh, getting ready for collegiate golf. Uh, what are some of the most important things, do you think, um, that we need to be uh, emphasized um, as they're preparing uh, to, to get into collegiate golf. Uh, Brandon? Attitude, attitude, preparation. <laughs> um, you know, I have – I teach a lot of collegiate players. I, I'm in, right. in, in middle Georgia. Right. Kind of, I'm about an hour south of Atlanta. And I have a lot – I've got over uh, – let's see, it's 12 or 13 – Division, small division one, division two or three colleges within a 75 mile radius of my golf club. Um, right. And so we teach a lot of college players, not necessarily, you know, division one top 15 players. We teach those too, mm-hmm. but we teach a lot of guys that, you know, that are, that are in the smaller division one mid major schools or, or, or division two schools. And I am continually astounded at their at, at their incapacity to deal with failure. Um, right. And what, what I mean by that is each and every golf shot they have an expectation of perfection. And most of them have no concept of how to deal with the golf shot that isn't struck perfectly. And so right. they, they have they have no ability to grind a 75. And what I mean by that is walking off a golf course at three or four or five over par, and you feel like you've just run a marathon because you scraped and scratched and battled and bled for every single shot you had. They have no concept of that as as mm-hmm. a general rule. Um, and so that starts to have a negative effect on their attitude. Uh, and so, so I spend a lot of time talking about that. I spend a lot of time training that. I spend a lot. Of, I spend a lot of time in practice setting up scenarios where they fail in practice, so that we can hmm. get some of that out in an environment that's safe and, frankly, doesn't matter, so that they can get used to failure. And when it happens in a tournament, it's not the first time they've ever seen it, and they know how to deal with it. Um, and, and so most other sports do that all the time. I mean, that's why you have scrimmages, right? Right. That's why you have out of stock scrimmages. So you can completely fail and run the play incorrectly and fumble the ball and throw interceptions and whatever other sport, you know, lingo you want to throw to it, and it doesn't matter. We don't do that in golf enough, in my personal opinion. And so I spend a lot of time trying to teach them, A, what it's like to fail, B, how to deal with failure, and C, 
how to keep it together and still shoot a decent round when you are failing. Um, and, and so I think that's I think that's really key. The second point I'll make is I don't know where I don't know where these kids missed it in their development in golf. I certainly was taught by my golf professional. Uh, perhaps it's not as prevalent as I thought it was, but not very many of them know how to properly prepare to play tournament golf. They have no concept of what it's like to make a yardage book, to mark a green, to find the zone that you're trying to hit the ball in. And I think the, the, the modern-day range finder might be the worst thing I've ever seen because they just walk up to the ball, <laughs> whip it out, lays its flag, pull the club, and swing at it. You know, And, it, and it, well, we didn't have that stuff when I was growing up. I'm sure the same for Allison and Michael. So, you know, we, we had to step it off, and we had to know whether the pin was on the back or the front or the middle and – and I, they don't do any of that. Now, you get some really good college coaches that, that do it for them and help them learn. But I knew how to do that stuff before I ever went to college and played, you know. And, 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 and they, they just they don't have any concept of that. And so I spend a lot of time training that, you know, teaching them how to make a yardage book and teaching them the importance of understanding the carry yardage for the front bunker and the back of the green yardage that, that, that's no-go, right? And so you've got this zone right. that you can hit it in, you know, or, or regardless of where the flag might be on the green, this is where you're trying to hit it. Well, yeah, but the flag is over there. I don't care where the flag is. This is where you're trying to hit it because if you go with that flag, and I go back to my metrics, right? I mean, the, the stat category leader on the PGA Tour misses 35% of the time. Right. Misses 35% of the time. So, what can, what can they expect? Maybe 50%? And so there's mm-hmm. a one in two chance they're not going to hit it where they want to hit it. And so if, if that's the case, then we need to make sure that if we're in the other half of that where we miss it, we do our best to hedge our bet to miss in the right spot. They don't have any concept of that as a general rule, right? And so I think, right. I think you know, learning how to deal with failure and their attitude that they approach their game with and preparation by far are the two most important things that I spend time trying to deal with much, much more so than technique. Um, right. I spend literally 80% of my time with all those college players talking about those two things. So that's my five minute dissertation on that. Right. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, no, great, great points. Uh, and, and you're, you're exactly right. Um, Allison, you know, Brandon raised a, a really uh, interesting point, and I'm sure, and I know, um, you know, you've played at that level and, and of course, uh, are beyond that now, but um, I'm sure you experienced in, in your earlier playing time with a lot of your, your fellow competitors in that, that same type of approach in, in today's golf game. Uh, and by the way, Brandon, I think there's an app for that now. I think that's why they, they don't do it uh, old school, as, as you have been taught. Um, but Allison, I think that, that, that there is, you know, a, a certain amount of preparation for a, a young player uh, as they migrate into a, a collegiate golf and preparation, as, as Brandon said. What were some of the things that, that you try to um, help your students with, uh, some of your junior players that maybe are looking to, to get into college golf, uh, and take it from, from your own experience if, if necessary? But uh, what are some things that you try? Do you kind of concur with what Brandon talked about? or some other things that maybe you think are also equally important to share? Well, I'm in an interesting position because I do coach college players, but I also develop, you know, a lot of junior and high school players. So 
I feel like I'm a really um, accurate resource for those high schoolers uh, when they have questions about college because I have have the uh, CSUN girls team that I coach. So Mm -hmm. it's a mixed bag. Everyone's so unique. So I hate to throw out just general, general statements about high school players or college players in general, but if a player does not have experience in terms of preparing for a tournament or knowing how to use a yardage book. That's just part of the learning process. I do think a little bit of our technology these days has taken away from some of, from some of that skill building. So, for example, when I was a junior player and we didn't have yardage devices, a teacher would teach me how to walk off a yard. What is a yard? Okay, how do you do that in feet when it's in the green? Well, nowadays, because we have the technology to do that, there's less of a need for it. So it's possible that that skill is not taught nearly as much. So, again, it kind of comes down to meeting each player where they're at. And some high schoolers need to know more about how to prep for big tournaments. Others have a really good baseline already. So based on how I know the student and what they need, then I'm going to offer them what they need. What I do see for that age group, anywhere from 14 to 21, however, is how to manage and regulate emotions. It's a really difficult mm-hmm. time because there's physiological changes that are happening through puberty. There's still brain sure. development that's happening up until age 23. So these players, whether they're in high school or in college, are faced with a lot of uncomfortable emotions. And how to manage those emotions on the golf course is where I spend a lot of my development with players. One thing that I, I stay away from is the use of the word failure as a negative thing. And I try to teach my players, hey, failure actually stands for first attempt in learning. So you never truly fail in a negative way. You've just had a learning experience. And what right. can you develop from that experience to make you better the next time around? So if they experience the negative emotion and they slam the club, That's not necessarily failure. That's just learning for the first time what it's like to have that really uncomfortable emotion on the golf course and what's the most appropriate and professional way to deal with that emotion. So I believe that my focus is more geared towards wherever they are at, I'm going to service their needs, but teaching them how to regulate and manage their emotions when they're at that high level of competition. And I think part of that is based on my own personal experience of needing to have those skills fine-tuned because we all know that golf is a very up-and-down game, and it's yep. really, really difficult as a teen and a young adult to, to handle the disappointments and the sadness and the frustration in addition to the elation and the joy that golf brings with it. Well said. Um, and, and you touched, uh, Allison, really on a, a very good point that I think a lot of times um, – you know, parents probably even overlook, um, they forget, you know, when they get, they sort of get bitten by the, the, the collegiate uh, bug, if you will, you know, as, as much as the kids do. And they forget that these kids are not just, um, you know, developing the skills necessary to, to play uh, good golf out in the golf course, but their bodies are changing during this time frame as well, as you said, from high school and, and junior high as well, uh, right up into their collegiate golf. So there's a lot of things happening uh to their bodies physically, uh, which is ultimately going to affect their emotions as well. And those are areas, um, Michael, that I think, you know, Allison touched on, I think need to be addressed as well. Uh, she did a great job, by the way. Um, but, Michael, what about yourself? What about some things? Um, are there 
cases that, that you're working on or junior golfers that maybe are getting ready for that collegiate uh, uh, time of their careers that uh, you're working with them right now or have been working with them? And what are some advice and tips that you would uh, throw in the mix? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to – I mean, they both hit most of the things that I was going to say. So thanks, guys, for taking all that. Appreciate it. Now i got to come up with something. Um, <laughs> no, You did um, get to go last. I mean, you know. That's right. I, I yeah. know. I know. It, it, it'll work out. It's all right. I'll make something up. It'll work. No, I'm just kidding. So, you know, the biggest thing that I harp on with my juniors that are – especially as they're getting into their freshman, sophomore year, you know, we've talked a little bit about that, you know, that transition period – but a part that's very neglected, in my opinion, and Allison, I don't know if I'm, – I'm sure you've seen this as well. Uh, I mean, the talent pool, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't know the women's side as well as I would like, but the, the men's side I know pretty well. And the talent pool, obviously, is, is ridiculously deep with how many good players that are out there. And there's so many of those good players that focus so much on their golf that they neglect their academics. And a coach, if they have – two players of similar skill levels and one's a better student. Allison, you, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the coaches that I've talked to, if you have a pretty similar skill level golfer or two of them and one's got better grades, you're going to pick the guy with the better or the, or the girl with the better grades every single time, because you know, they're going to be with you for four years. You know, you don't have to worry about that. You know, are they going to, are they going to fail out now? Um, I'm the same way I, I was going to, you know, again, just harp on, harp on what they were talking about with the, you know, with golf, you're going to fail a lot more times than you're going to win. I mean, look at, take, let's take for, I think most everybody, you know, that was able to stay awake, watch game seven of the world series last night. It's a seven game, you know, seven game final and the losing team still won three of the games. So almost a 50% you know, almost a 50% winning ratio, that much of a ratio, we'll just, I don't know the math off the top of my head, we'll just say around, you know, 37, 40%. That type of winning ratio on the PGA or LPGA Tour would be unheard of. So you're going to fail a lot more in golf than you're going to in any other sport. So like they said, you know, learning how to deal with failure and accept it. And, you know, I think we've all played competitive golf, all three of us on the panel, and anybody that's listening that's played competitive golf knows that, you've learned a lot more from a tournament that you lost than any tournament that you've won. And, right. you know, so um, taking all that and um, the biggest thing really from a, uh, you know, they, they've talked a lot about the technique stuff and the, the fair stuff. The part that I do, um, I have all my kids keep a journal and every time they practice, every time they play a tournament, I ask them to keep their stats. I ask them to write down what they were thinking what did they do well? What did they they do poorly? And keep tabs on everything that they've done, so that way they can go back and say, okay, well, you know, this tournament. If they're in the middle of a tournament, and they're struggling with something or struggling with a, a you know mental block of some kind. They can go back to that notebook and say, all right, well, you know what? I I think I had a similar feeling six months ago at this other tournament, and I was able to turn it around by doing X, Y, and Z. I can't remember what it was. Let me go back to my notes. So that way it actually gives them an opportunity to go back and re, you know, reevaluate. And also, again, to, to go on what they were saying, you know, it gives you a chance to assess the, the metrics per se of, okay, well, I went from the beginning of the year of only hitting seven, averaging seven fairways around to 11, which 
increase my greens and reg by 20% or whatever it is. So, you know, all of those things can add up. But um, I think the biggest thing that I harp on with my juniors is to not neglect the academic side of it because getting into your college of choice and playing division one golf, if that's your goal is just about just as much about the academics as it is about the physical um, because of the, the depth of the talent pool that college coaches have to pull right now. Right. And, and that's, that's a great point as well. And, and I like the fact, Michael, that you touched on the academic side of it as well, because I think that is, you know, something that, that uh, coaches are going to be looking for, not just um, necessarily because they're going to have them or not have them for the four years, but I think they want, it shows a commitment, you know, um, it's great to get out there and have some great ball striking, but if, if the individual students not committed to their studies um, equally, uh, or actually really probably more so, um, that tells you a lot about their character. Um, it tells you where their priorities are. And, and obviously, as you just pointed out, Michael, not everybody's going to make it on the PGA Tour. Not everybody's going to make it into a Division One college. Um, but even if you are fortunate enough on your skill level, um, it, it tells a lot about the individual's character and how they handle themselves um, by how they apply themselves to the academic uh, side as well. So a great point to all three of you. Um, Allison, I'm going to go back to you and, and start here on this particular question. And uh, again, we'll try to, uh, you know, limit uh, our time a little bit just because we're, we're getting close to, to wrapping up here shortly. Um, course management, strategic thinking during a round, and even dealing with things such as weather. Um, and again, we're talking about junior players. When should these particular skills be introduced to the junior player? At what point in the process should we, we be working on things like course management and working out strategies uh, during a round? And, and even dealing with inclement weather uh, that may come up uh, during a round. When in the process, working with the junior players, is something we do right up front or is this something as we go along? How do we handle that, um, Allison? In my opinion, it's kind of like a student-by-student student approach. So depending on where they're at developmentally and skillfully, they may not be a big tournament player junior-wise. They may just be doing it for exercise or for fun in terms of taking lessons. So my strategy with them might be a little bit different, or if I've got a junior that wants to play in a lot of local events and maybe some AJGA events where they might be coming across the country and facing that type of weather, because we really don't get all too much in Southern California, then we sure. might need to plan ahead for those type of experiences. So it really is student-by-student student basis, but I would say as a general umbrella term that we should do it as early as possible because it's a part of the game. And the golf Golf is played on the golf course. So when we bring our students onto the golf course, inadvertently we start to teach them about strategy, where to stand, where to aim, which clubs to pull when. So I think those bricks begin to be laid very early on. When it comes to weather, again, it's tough in, in my area just because we probably get rain maybe four times a year. But one thing that we do face is wind. And so oftentimes the Santa Ana winds come in and we have to work with, with students on how to control your ball flight when that wind comes in. And so if I'm working with a nine-year-old and it's a super windy day, what a perfect opportunity to talk about ball flight and how the wind impacts it and then what clubs might be used uh, to compensate and to cope with the wind. So overall, I think the earlier the better. But again, meeting the student where they're at, not pushing right. on – different different strategies and techniques too early if it doesn't fit their needs or match up in line with their goals. 
Well said. Um, and, and that's that's important, too. I think you do have to uh, and, and you, you raise a, a very, uh, very good point, Allison, is you, you really have to meet the students where they are. Um, you, you can't just sort of, you know, take a, a paintbrush and sort of do a broad stroke and, and treat everybody exactly the same because all people learn differently. Um, some people are going to be at different levels um, than, say, the, the student beside them. So you have to sort of, again, it goes back to that initial interview and assessment uh, process, uh, seeing where the students are and then meeting them where they're at. Um, Brandon, about, how about yourself? Um, dealing with things like this area, course management, and, and sort of your thinking around uh, during your round, and, and again, obviously here in the, the southeast, we have uh, some hot, steamy weather. We have some windy conditions too, and uh, we get our fair share of rain. So obviously there's some great different uh, scenarios in weather. Um, what about these skill levels as far as working with your juniors? Do you try to, as Allison does, sort of uh, start them early, or do you have a process that you do as well? Well, I mean, I, I agree with Allison. I mean, I think it, I think it, it's heavily based on the student. I mean, I do most of my junior work at my academy, you know, in, in groups if I can, or, or that's at least a part of it. And so any kid that is interested in playing competitive golf, and that could be the local U.S. Kids Tour. It could be, a, you know, a regional 36-hole event, or it could be, you know, even higher level than that. Um, usually those kids end up being in the program together. Uh, and, and so I introduce it, things like AIM and course management and strategy, the instant they tell me they want to play competitive golf. Now, some of that stuff is brought up in the very beginning, even if they don't want to play competitive golf, if they want to play sure. golf, things like strategy and aim are certainly important. But but if it's specific to developing, you know, higher levels of understanding in that arena, then as soon as they say they want to play competitive golf, I start talking about it. Um, very, very different from Allison. We are in an area, or I am in an area, where I get all four seasons and all kinds of inclement mm -hmm. weather. And so... I can't tell you how many times I've had parents look at me funny when they show up and it's raining and they say, I guess we're canceling today. And I said, no, we're not. I hope you brought a jacket. Um, because if you're going to play competitive golf, especially in the southeast, you're going to deal with some of that stuff because, you know, right. these regional tournaments have, have booked the golf course and the golf course has arranged their schedule. And as long as it's not lightning, you know, game on, baby, we're going to play. And so they've yep. got to be ready to deal with that. And so I train them in that environment. You know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, I, I need to teach them how to deal with failure, and I train them to that point in, 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 in scrimmages, so to speak. I do the same thing in inclement weather. And so I want them to know how to hit a golf ball, when it, you know, in a downpour and what it's like to try to keep a glove dry or try to keep a towel dry under the umbrella or, you know, any any and all of those little nuances that come from playing in foul weather, um, I've got to learn, I've got to teach them how to do that. And so I start them as soon as they tell me that they want to be competitive. Um, you know, I, the last lesson I just had before I got on the call was with an 11-year-old. He's uh, he's playing really well in the U.S. Kids Local Tour, and, and today was a particularly windy afternoon here in Georgia, and so we worked on that very thing. We worked on controlling ball flight, much to Allison's comment. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't talk to that, you know, talk about that with a typical 11-year-old because they're just there goofing off and, and looking at golf as another activity, the same as soccer or basketball, that they're playing after school extracurricular, you know. But right. he's a competitive golfer, right. and so I had that conversation with him. 
So I think if the student's ready for it, if they tell you they want to venture into that world, then I think as an instructor we've got to talk about it because they're certainly going to experience it in competition. And, you know, the, 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 the responsibility is ours to get them ready for it. Right. Uh, I agree 100%. Great answer as well, uh, Brandon. Um, Michael, just uh, again, just for um, uh, emphasis on the time here because we're, we're getting very close to our uh, wrapping things up, I'm going to uh, throw in a, a slightly different question for you, but kind of along the same uh, lines here, and I'm going to let you uh, handle this one on your own. Uh, and not go back to the others for this, but uh, obviously uh, we're talking a little bit about juniors, but obviously college golf particularly um, can be very rigorous uh, at, at times, depending on, on the circumstances. Um, how do you prepare players mentally uh, for competition? What are some things that you do to prepare your students uh, mentally for competition in, in uh, collegiate golf? Um, I mean, I do. as I try to simulate tournament pressure as much as, as much as possible. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to do because playing college golf is difficult in many aspects from, you know, managing the, you know, the, the student athlete portion to, you know, getting to class, going to practice. And, and you know, so the, the emotional and, and um, you know, the emotional distress that you have playing collegiate golf isn't always simply just golf related. Um, you know, so trying to simulate stress in one way or another, um, I have a background in law enforcement between my time playing and being and, and teaching again. And so, um, you know, if, if the student and the junior is, is up for it, I try to incorporate a little bit of just a little bit of fitness, keep them going. You know, if you look at the PGA tour and the LPGA tour, I mean, uh, there's so many, you know, golfers aren't really just golfers anymore. They're athletes. Right. You know, so. Right. But by introducing some sort of fitness component to it, um, elevate the heart rate a little bit, it kind of simulates fairly close to, um, you know, to, to the adrenaline that you might feel when you're, when you're about to hit that first tee shot, your heart rate's up. You know, you're not, it's something that you're not used to doing. Um, you know, so that's something that I do, playing games and having them, you know, say, all right, well, you know, we're going to play a shot here into this hole. It's, you know, if they're a good player at that le at that quality, you know, all right, you know, I want you to hit a draw. It's going to start at the right side of the green and get to the get to the flag, but it can't go left. If it goes left, we got to go back 20 yards, and you got to do the same thing again. You're just trying to play certain games to try and, you know, or, or um, you know, putting on the green, you got to win your way off the green, uh, you know, mm -hmm whether making 50 putts in a row from three feet, something like that. So, you know, as you get closer to that 50 number, you're starting to feel that kind of competitive feature, you know, that competitive uh, feeling, um, you know, that you would kind of feel when, you know, when you're in a, a competitive situation, you have to make a three-footer to win or to force a playoff or to get that point that your team needs or whatever it may be. Um, you know, but I try and do that that – you know, that kind of stuff is as much as I can. And um, the outlook that I, um, you know, I, I look at uh, one of uh, the things that I call, I call it Spartan golf, where you have that outlook of that warrior outlook where nothing's going to get in your way from losing. If you have that outlook, it kind of makes it a little bit easier because you're not, you're not so wrapped up in, in the jitters. You're going to have the jitters, accept it, move on and just, you know, embrace it, enjoy it. You know, it's, you play golf for fun, so it just you know. But I try to play certain games with them, 
if they ask, I'll play golf with them to, you know, to try and put a little pressure on them. Um, you know, it, it really, again, I mean, it depends on the individual and how they react sure. and what type of personality they have. Um, but, you know, those are kind of some of the things. Anything that you can do to kind of simulate that, you know, clammy hands, raised heart rate, you know, so, stuff like that that can – because they're going to feel those effects coming down the stretch in those last few holes that they need to win their match for their team or they need to beat that player then or they're – you know, need to make a putt to win the individual title, whatever it may be. Right, and you're you're basically what you're doing is you're you're not only applying pressure, but you're creating uh, scenarios for them to um, challenge them. Really, is what you're affect what you're trying to and do. Is you're trying to challenge them. Right, making them uncomfortable, putting them out of their box. Um, the one thing that wasn't mentioned, and, and just uh, you know, maybe we could just fairly uh, quickly touch on uh, one of the other things too. I think that that golfers playing in a, in a collegiate uh, golf maybe need to understand, because obviously, as we all know, golf is an individual sport, uh, but now they're playing as part of a team, so there's a different mindset. And Allison, I know you've been uh, down that road uh, many times throughout your career as well. Uh, maybe you can touch on that just a little bit, um, because they're approaching things a little bit differently now, because they're part of a team. It's not just how I play, it's how I support my, my fellow teammates and, and so on and so forth. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that there's a there's a huge change and shifting in just the paradigm of going from an individual to a team sport. So um, the quickest way I can sum it up, knowing in the essence of time we're about to wrap up, is that doing a lot of team building at the college level is helpful in sort of transitioning those kids from looking at just this individual place to knowing that each and each other's scores count and that you're working towards a greater goal. It is certainly a mental shift that needs to happen, and, and some people really struggle greatly with it. But I think having a lot of team building, rapport building, some retreats is helpful in bridging that gap. Right, yeah, and, and that's a great uh, great way to wrap it up. The reason why I asked that is, uh, Allison was, uh, and, and, and guys, was this. Um, you know, we've seen this many, many times. You see this even in, in uh, situations, whether it be the, the Solheim Cup or the Ryder Cup, where certain individuals who you would think would just, you know, blow the field away, get out there in that team format. T- Tiger's one that comes to mind. I mean, his, his um, you know, individual play is, has been phenomenal over his career, but his Ryder Cup uh, play has not been as stellar as his other. And it's just because I think, uh, again, it, he has not done as well as part of the, uh, being part of a team as he did when he plays uh, on his own. And I think that that's not an easy transition for some players. That doesn't mean that his, uh, he, you know, his skill is any different. It's just that that's not something that he uh, was able to to grapple to compared to other players. And there's other players uh, over the years. Uh, Nick Faldo comes to mind. Some of the older players um, who was very good on, on the Ryder Cup as well as individual. So I think it, that's a, a skill that has to be taught as well um, along the way. Um, guys, I want to thank you very much for, for coming on. It's been an interesting discussion. I enjoyed uh, listening to all of your perspectives um, uh, pertaining to junior golf and, and uh, getting some of these uh, young men and, and ladies uh, prepared for college life. Um, very quickly, we'll go down the, the field. Uh, Allison, how can the folks reach out to you? Where can they go uh, to get more information uh, about your golf programs? And then uh, Michael and Brandon. 
If students went ahead to Google and type in Allison Kirk Golf, that will bring you straight to my website. Everything in terms of contact information is there, social media, YouTube videos, Golf Channel videos. Allison Kirk Golf is the home of it all. So feel free to head over there. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Allison. Uh, Michael? Uh, it's pretty much the same thing. MichaelWheelerGolf.com uh, has all the links to my social media page, Pages on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and um, always uh, uploading videos to YouTube and that type of stuff. Um, we have a, uh, a grand opening for our indoor facility that we're going to use for the winter and also simulator time for bad weather uh, in the area here next week. So all that information is on there, too. But uh, all the information, is just go to uh, michaelwheelergolf.com. My cell phone number is on there. My email address is on there. Feel free to reach out whenever. Perfect. Thank you, Michael. Um, and last but not least, uh, Mr. Stukesbury, how can uh, the folks reach out to you? Well, I'll just repeat what the other two professionals <laughs> have said already. Uh, my last name's a little funny. It's uh, S-T-O-O-K-S-B-U-R-Y. Um, you can just go to stukesburygolf.com, um, and that'll get you all you need to know. Everything I have out in the digital world, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, everything is under Stukesbury Golf. Um, and so, uh, you know, check it out. Uh, I've got information on my book right on the webpage there if people are interested in checking that out. And, uh, you know, it's all it's all right there, all the contact info you need. If you're ever down this way or if you ever want to talk, you can find it right there. Perfect. Thank you. Um, Allison and Michael and Brandon, thank you very much for, for joining me tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. I appreciate uh, always uh, you giving up your time. and. Uh, go have a great uh, rest of the evening, and uh, I will see you guys next time uh, on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dad. All right, appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a good one, guys. Okay, that was uh, my very special guest on the uh, Coach's Corner panel, uh, Allison Kirst, uh, Michael Wheeler, and Brandon Stukesbury. Uh, some great, uh, great uh, professionals, and I appreciate all of their uh, input and thoughts into the program. And it's always interesting to get some different perspectives and different views. And obviously there's a lot of uh, crossover as well um, uh, through the guys and, and gals that come on the show, but uh, also uh, some, some different thoughts and, and uh, always appreciate that. Um, got a great uh, guest coming up here and I'm going to do a quick introduction and I'm going to bring him on. Uh, this gentleman reached out to me actually very recently, speaking of social media. His name is uh, Peter Egazarian. He's a Class A member of the PGA, as well as a teach professional at the uh, Taconic Golf Club in Williamstown, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, he's got a, a very great slogan, and we'll talk about that when he comes on. Um, but he's also certified in junior development by the Titleist Performance Institute, or TPI for short. Uh, he's also KVS certified, uh, sport-specific uh, biofeedback. Uh, he's also a user of FlightScope, which we've talked about here on the show before. And he's a member of the Proponent Group, uh, which is the premier network for golf instructors. So without further uh, hesitation, let me bring on my special guest tonight, Mr. Uh, Peter Egazarian. Good evening, Peter, and welcome. Hi, Ted. How are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. Peter, thank you very much uh, for, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Um, I've already done the, the intro here, and I, I wanted to wait till you come on. Uh, I was reading through the information, of course, that you sent me uh, in preparation for the show, and, uh, of course, I came across your slogan. Uh, so I'm going to read that out, and then I just want you to uh, 
to maybe uh, talk just very briefly about that, how you came up with that and why you had that. And your slogan is this, play better, play longer, and have more fun. Uh, how did you come up with that? And give us a little bit of uh, the backstory on it, if you would. Well, you know, I, I took some time. I was, you know, really looking to um, come up with a, a kind of a mission statement, basically, that came, brought together all of my coaching and my teaching. Um, and I took some time and I thought about it, and this is what came out of it. I really molded over, spent some time, um, and it really breaks down the three facets that people are looking towards when they are seeking someone like myself. Um, right. Uh, the play play better is obvious. Um, you know mm-hmm. the, you know everyone's seeking uh, just to take off a few more shots. And when you play better, you do have more fun. Um, play longer comes from um, some of the people I worked with that were suffering from uh, injury recovery and something that was exasperated by um, something in their motion. Uh, where their doctor has uh, urged them if they choose to continue to play golf, they need to do X or Y uh, in their motion to ensure that they're not going to re-injure themselves or so they can ensure that they're going to play, you know, maybe five, six, seven, ten more years. Um, And somewhat in my position adding value to their facility, I feel like that's just a, a very, very big um, aspect, um, especially dealing with people who are uh, above a boomer age or maybe older, um, five right. more years playing golf for them is is an incredible quality of life uh, component. And then, you know, the last aspect is really the most important. Uh, anytime I'm doing any kind of videos online, uh, I do end with this slogan, but I do say most importantly for us to have, for you to have more fun. Um, yeah, because that really is the, the the whole point. Right, and I and I think that's that's crucial, really. And a lot of the the your fellow instructors that have come on the program uh, here over the years have all said the same thing. Um, you know, they want their students to have fun. It, it golf is certainly um, not an easy game. It can be made more enjoyable if you take the proper steps in in improvement. And obviously, uh, by working with somebody such as yourself uh, is, is a great way to start. Um, but we want our students to have more fun. We want them to get enjoyment of the game, and, and it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, uh, a um, you know a five handicap or a thirty handicap. Uh, you can still have fun at the game, at uh, whatever level you may be at. Uh, but a lot of it also, uh, I think, Peter stems from attitude. I think the attitude that you have towards, um, you know, playing out in the golf course. If you've got a good attitude, uh, and you hit a couple mm-hmm. of bad shots you can get past it fairly easy. If you've got a a negative attitude sort of going out there, then that sort of haunts you for the rest of the round. Um, I want to Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about uh, your teaching and coaching philosophy that I I looked at some of the notes there as well. And I'm going to pull a few things out that, that sort of stood out to me. Obviously, uh, as you, if you listen to the earlier part of the program, um, you heard uh, the guys and and Allison talking about um, really that, that every golfer is unique. Um, Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about, um, the fundamentals, because um, one thing caught my eye that you said in your in your uh, teaching and coaching philosophy was um, the employment of sound fundamentals are, are crucial for skill development. And I want you to explain a little mm-hmm. bit why that is, why people, you know, a lot of, uh, especially our high handicappers out there, don't spend enough time on the fundamentals of golf. Why is that important for them to, to spend time on? Um, you know, looking at the, you know, the every. Every player, really, um, I think they 
I feel as though they spend a lot of time um, having an unrealistic expectation of their fundamentals. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know that every player right now has, and I talk to my players about this very frequently, that you all have an enormous amount of inputs. Uh, There is a 24-hour channel dedicated for golf, where most of it now is fortunately becoming instruction, but you're getting input from that. Uh, You have peers, you have magazines, you have books, you have other, you have the internet, which is vast. Um, I feel as though people um, are, have gotten very preoccupied with doing things right. They use that term with me often. I'm not doing this right. Well, Mm -hmm. what they're not taking into account is that their version of of right might be completely different than um, what someone else's version of that is. And really, it's employing their own preferences and their own ability to um, repeat what they're doing. Uh, like, you, you know, you talk about grip all the time. Right. You know, I, I, am I gripping this right? Well, that depends. You know, is this mm-hmm. something that you feel like you can be successful with? Well, I, I, you know, I talked to this person who I play golf with, and they said I should be gripping it like this. And I said, you know, we have, we have, yeah, exactly. Or I went to this person, and I should, I have this kind of dominant eye, or some kind of something where they would, they were told they need, they have to really, they're required to grip it this way. Um, you know, that's that puts them in a in a situation where they are tentative and unconfident. Um, so right. I really work with people on, and it's really, as I talk about in my other parts about, it's a, it really is a two-way discussion as mm-hmm. to discovering where their fundamentals are go- going to lie in a really personally efficient manner. Um, and you know, that, yeah, ahead, that, that's a very, yeah, no, that's okay. Um, what I was going to say is, is, you know, it's interesting that you say that because this goes back to the uniqueness of each player. And, and a lot of times when I have students that have come up to me and said, well, you know, I want to, I want to be able to, to play like so-and-so they've seen on TV or, or they, you know, seen mm-hmm. video footage of, of somebody and they want to play more like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, his grip is his or her grip is like this and, and why is mine like that? And what I try to, to draw is by today's standards, when you look at many of the PGA players, they, they look very similar to one another. But if you go back 20, 30 years ago and you look at the players like the Palmers, the Nicholases, the Trevinos, and, and uh, you know, even the Lopez and, and some of the other players out there, they were all uniquely different. Um, certain fundamentals had to be the same. Um, but you know, Lee had a much stronger grip. Arnold had a strong grip. Uh, Jack had a very weak grip, uh, more neutral grip uh, than some of his competitive players. So, you know, one size doesn't necessarily fit all. And I think this is a misconception mm-hmm. that, as you were just mm-hmm. talking about, that a lot of players have, that they need to all be the same. And they're not. The, the truth of the matter is you need to have the right grip or the right stance or so on. And there are certain uh, guidelines that we need to follow, but it has to be right for them. It's okay if they're playing with a slightly open stance, uh, if that's how their body uh, lines up. Lee Trevino won many, many uh, tournaments, including um, several majors, with a very open stance. Um, Mm -hmm. So sometimes we have to be careful of what we change. 
Um, I, I want to move on to a, a question because it, it just it, sort of pick up on that as well, because you may mention about some of the different things that are sort of drawing attention away. Um, I want to get into your thoughts on growing the game, and and are we missing the boat uh, as instructors? You know, millenniums. I'll give an example. Millenniums seem not to gra- be gravitating towards golf uh, as much as some of the earlier generations. And I want to get your thoughts on to why you think that is. Is there too much information that they're being bombarded with um, that it's confusing them, uh, or is it just that um, one of the earlier guests talked about? You know, on the Golf Channel, we're seeing all of the. Um, uh, you know, professionals playing, are they seeing that information saying, you know, I'm never going to be that good or I'm not going to be playing competitive golf. Um, this isn't for me. Why do you think a lot of the millennials are not coming into golf? It's a perception that it's far too difficult, um, that they don't have access to it and they're not welcome. I talk to them on a regular basis. Um, our, you know, our club being on the campus of a, uh, a college, um, and my, I do teach um, two classes for that co- golf classes for that college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, you know, in between 23 and 30 kids coming through every um, twice a year. Uh, and I ask them often, and the, those are the most common answers I get. And I see it in, in them uh, in the beginning of every, every it's a quarter long class, not a whole semester, but uh, mainly because right. we're in the Northeast. Um, but I see that in their face is that they're very intimidated in the beginning. Um, most like most people, but they feel as though it, it's not something that they're, um, they have access to, or they're, uh, they're allowed to do. Um, I, I think there's just a, a disconnect in a, um, really in a perception rather than a reality. And mm-hmm. right now we can really go a long way towards, uh, educating, the younger people that they do have access and there are ways that um, they can enjoy being on the golf course without having to post a number. Um, I work a lot with um, beginner and, you know, especially the millennial golfer on scaling the game of golf um, Mm -hmm. to the beginner or to being easier than it is currently being played. Uh, you know, I take the emphasis off the score. Everybody, every hole, you're guaranteed to get bogey, um, and they count the number of good shots they have. And um, as they progress, in the beginning, I should say, we start with um, a very wide constraint where they're just asked to get a ball um, either in the air or in the fairway or near the green, or um, just they're given, you know very wide constraints and then they're allowed the autonomy either either in individually within themselves to tighten right. that constraint or within their peers to tighten that constraint with each other interacting on a shot by shot basis. Um, so this is something that I do for all of my players, but especially I've gone uh, in this direction with uh, the millennial golfer because uh, not only is it going to make it more enjoyable for them, but it's going to um, quicken up the pace, which, you know, obviously for a millennial, which uh, I'm the oldest possible millennial you can be right now. And um, I understand <laughs> everything, everything right. needs to be quick and if they don't, there's no time for, you know, four or five, six hours to be out there. So uh, this does take care, answer that component as well. Um, let, but let me if, ask you, if Peter, we're able to, you know, just give more education on the access and the change of perception they have, I think it'll go a long way. 
Let me ask you, um, then, Peter, this question, since you are, you know, sort of on the cusp of, of, um, of the millennial uh, era. Do you think that the golf industry as a whole has done their, themselves a disservice by the following? Um, you know, obviously, like every industry, you've got to keep up with technology, and I think it's important to some of the advancements to, uh, from a coaching perspective. But do you think that part of the reason is that we're not seeing the millennials coming out and engaging with uh, instructors and that is because we're giving them a, an alternative vessel. And, and I'll give you some examples of what I mean by that. Um, social media, uh, certainly we have to tap into that. We have to um, understand it and that. But we're making it so accessible through other mediums that they don't need to come and see a golf coach or a golf instructor. They've got video, they've got apps, they've got all kinds of uh, different technology out there and ways of accessing the same information. Um, do you think mm -hmm. that the golf industry uh, certainly has to play that game to a certain point, but do you think maybe in, in its pursuit of trying to tap into that market, it's actually pushed them away from the golf course because they don't need to come to the golf course anymore in their mind because they can get all the information they want off a, you know, a computer stroke or a computer key? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that's something that you can't really cite to be a current environment it's not their current environment really it's it was started happening in the 90s really once we started right in the, the right. late 90s early 2000s that all started happening you know and then youtube came along in the mid 2000s and really became prevalent um that's when it really started i think right now it's just that actually the the younger people are smart are much more uh have a lot of uh more of an EQ, like an, a, an emotional intelligence where they can understand that this person's not connecting with them. Um, it's not genuine. Uh, they're not going to be consuming that. Um, they're, yeah. they're more so going towards someone that they can personally connect with uh, and moving away from that one-size-fits-all canned uh, mm -hmm. maybe YouTube clip that is just a, a tip um, you know, I'm a, I'm a very strange individual in this sense, in a teaching professional sense, where I don't really give tips. I don't do the, the canned 20-second, right. do this, and you'll be better. You know, I, I'll do the uh, one-minute informational piece as to why something is happening, and I'll, that person can process that for themselves right. uh, and hopefully individualize that but I'm not going to give somebody a, a one size fits all answer for anything because that's just not in line with my belief system. First of all, as a, as a, a coach and a teacher and mm -hmm. not really a, a, a genuine, a genuine um, product. It's just not how golf works. Yeah. So, and I mean, and that, I, that's I, a I, point as well, Peter, because I, I think you're, you're exactly right. I think that, um, you know, we often get, players coming up to us of all ages and saying, you know, I've, you know, I'm slicing the ball or I'm doing this, what can you do to, and, and, and it's a lot more involved than just a 20 second tip. Um, you know, you have to really assess the, the, the player and, and there could be multiple reasons why they're doing, obviously there's certain key things, you know, club face and uh, could mm -hmm. be their grip and things mm -hmm. like that, things that you do need to look at. Uh, but there could be other underlying issues that may be involved, and you're you're right. I mean, it's nice to have these tips, and we see all kinds of them all there, and and they're you know at everybody's fingertip, uh, whether you know on their computer or or a tablet or smartphone or iPhone yeah, or what I have think you. To answer your it, question a little further, Ted, sorry to interrupt, but no, it's okay. The the disservice the disservice that's being done right now 
from all of those mediums is that the the person that's coming up to you and asking about this tip, that person that they that they don't know and watched on YouTube or whatever, uh, words are carrying more weight than the person that's in front of them. Um, and I see this on a regular basis. While I was like, and then it just it's it's very innocent in their own way. They're, they're saying I was right. watching, you know, X yeah. <laughs> professional on the Golf Channel, and he's a top 100. Who are you? You know, it's it's right. they don't say that, but that's that's, that's really the that's what they're thinking. And and they ask me if this is good for them, and I say it depends. And it's really a vague answer for them. And I, and I ask more questions and ultimately we, I lead them down the road where it's going to let them understand or enable them to understand where that person that was on the golf channel was taking them. And that's different, but you know, I think that's, if there's a disservice, I think right now that they've, there's been a a certain thing created where I, you know, while a person that has, this many Instagram followers is, is better, a better teacher than this person that has a few less or it's, I think that's might be where we can, we can get better and understand that the person that you know is in front of you and can help just as much, if not better. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the, the criticisms too, I think that, that um, has come out now as well, uh, and, and again, I, I'm not here to, to criticize uh, my fellow professionals out there, but there yeah. has been a, an onset of, um, especially some of the top instructors out there, pushing specific theories or, or um, approaches to the game. And, and I'm not going to name names, but because I think we all know who they are. But um, and, and they're, they're certainly, uh, again, I'm not taking away from that, but they have their own philosophy, if you will, and that's great. But the problem is, again, it puts everybody in that same box. And that particular philosophy might be a good one for you, and it might be a good one for me. But three or four guys over here, it may not work or be applicable to their particular um, uh, approach to the game. And it may not work for them. And the problem that you have as an instructor is you're combating a lot of that information. There's so much information. As you said, the, the Internet is so vast. There is so much information that you almost have to be um, you know, Houdini to, to figure out how to get out of this uh, quagmire that we're in because you get students coming to you that say, you know, Peter, um, you know, I was watching this video the other day and, and, you know, Rory was on the golf channel and they were asking him this, this, and how does he handle it? And that might be great for Rory, but it may not be p- uh, particular to that student that you're working with, uh, his or her scenario. And I think the students misunderstand the purpose of the tip. It's a generalization, um, and it's a guide, if you will, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be applicable to your situation. And I think if people understand that, then they'll learn to take these tips for what they are. They're just a quick tip to give you a general idea, but they're not really necessarily getting to the root of your problem. And that's where more in-depth conversation and questions like you just uh, suggested a few moments ago uh, come into play, Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to to answer your question, I you use the word quagmire and how do we get out of this quagmire? <laughs> it, it, the answer is very, very simplistic in the sense that we stop talking about it. We stop talking about technique. We stop talking about it because I've really gone away in the past two years about getting very, very in depth with technique. Uh, we talked earlier and I said, you know, what do you want to know? 
you know, I know about stack and tilt. I know about one plane, right. two plane. I know all of these things that are great information to have. They're very, very smart people that have come up with these these models, and they're very, mm-hmm. very smart. And I take away at least one or two things away from talking to them or learning from them. But shifting towards talking about mindset is yeah. so much more valuable than talking about technique. And I, I want to know, and I, I ask more questions than I talk because I want to understand where their mindset is. And that's more important to me right now. Yes, technique and sound fundamentals are, are for there for discussion, um, but their mindset is going to greatly determine what their performance is rather than their technique. Because there, there are so many ways to, to really get it done that, you know, why are we going to sit here and, and really try to split hairs over, um, you know, X or Y in your golf swing when you're just completely on tilt mentally and can't even comprehend putting the ball in the hole and you've overcomplicated things. And if you simplify and, and work more in a process approach rather than an outcome-oriented approach, you're going to be much more better off in your performance and your overall mental health. I've seen so many yeah. good players and some other on the other end of the spectrum that have become so preoccupied with having this technique uh, that they have envisioned in their head from watching TV or whatever. Um, right. So you start talking about what they're thinking about, what their mindset, what their approach is, what their process is, how they feel about things, what, and you talk about them and you make it very player centered and things change. Things really start to change very rapidly when they stop thinking about technique all that much. And, you know, talking about process, my coaching players are allowed three steps in their process and only one of them is allowed to be technical. And we discuss Mm -hmm. that. We boil it down as a success factor, but they're allowed one technique thought from when they pull the club out of the bag till they put it back in. And this makes, this takes away and gets you out of that, that quagmire you're talking about of technique right? and talking about, you know, is my plane this and is my face yeah. open or closed and all this other stuff and things that it's very hard to perceive, you know, right. it's very, very hard for the player to perceive that where they are in space. Mm-hmm. It's very much impossible for them to close the club face efficiently or try to time squaring the club face. So, I mean, it's, there's a lot of different things that can be discussed, but really shifting their mindset um, really has shown the quickest improvement rather than getting in that quagmire you're talking about. Yeah. And and I, and you're, you're exactly right again, Peter, I think a lot of players um, certainly that I've been exposed to, I think one of the, um, you know, one of the issues that, that I've always seen, you know, and certainly on the practice tee, uh, you can get a little bit more technical. You can get a little bit more involved. But when you head out to the golf course, you've got to shut that part of your mind off and, and not have, you know, 20 different swing thoughts going through your head when you step up to the first tee. And, you know, everybody always talks about, you know, taking your your range game, if you will, to the, to the golf course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's certainly some good advice. But 
what we're really talking about is your your actual physical ability of, of hitting some good shots. We're not talking about all of the the thought process that you had on the range that you're you know using your programming yourself to, to do things a certain way. Um, we're not talking about taking that as well because and that's where people get into trouble. As you said, you know you're boiling it down to um, you know one technical thought that they can have. Whereas a lot of players come out and they've got four or five different things going through their mind at the same time, and they just can't execute um, the golf shot needed because they, they just don't know how to, to you know, process it down to one. Um, uh, the other thing I want to ask you about, Peter, uh, since you mentioned about coaching and that, you know, a lot of golf professionals out there now are moving into more of a coaching type uh, program, if you will, as opposed to just sort of straight up lessons. Um, explain a little bit in, in your understanding uh, the difference of that because a lot of people out there don't know a lot of your average golfers out there especially your higher handicappers um, you know they've heard terminology like this before but they don't really understand what's the difference I mean I'm still technically coming for a lesson what's the difference between what we traditionally used to have as a golf lesson and a coaching program um, first off explain a little bit of the difference and if I was a player coming to you how do I know which I should be choosing um, should I be just you yeah, know here for yeah. th- three to five lessons, or should I be involved in some sort of a coaching program? Um, how am I going to benefit from one or the other? Um, so talk about really what the differences between the two are, and uh, how as a player uh, I you're going to help me choose what's right for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just to talk about the two, two differences, you know, the, the individual lesson is something that has been around for a very long time. So it, you know, it's something that's people have grown accustomed to. They you know, traditionally have gone or called their golf shop at their local uh, club that or that they belong to or uh, a public golf course that's in the area, and they ask for the pro, and they, they ask for help. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, the pro would bring them either to the driving range or to the putting green or the uh, short game area or for some chipping on the putting green or whatever, and they're going to offer their own insight as to how it can be fixed. Um, you know, it's generally a, a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour. And the, that person wants to, um, often time wants to help, but is not going to be allowed the time to actually help you. Um, right. I think that's the biggest thing about individual lessons is that the, the time that you spend with that person doesn't allow for certain things to happen. So, Motor learning experts who are much more much smarter than I am um, have identified the fact that when you're looking to make a change in a motor pattern, which basically a golf lesson is, doesn't matter what it is, putting, chipping, any facet, you're actually going to be doing what you did before you came and the new aspect that's trying to be installed at the same time. So then you're going to be work sitting there with you're going to be with a professional for an hour, doing two different, taking two different inputs and trying to make them make sense to you in an hour. Right. I think I think logically right there that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Never mind all the other aspects that go along with it. It's the own own players' expectations of their experience, their monetary investment. Sure. Um, Component X, Y, and Z. Um, whereas you're looking, you're kind of shifting to, like you're saying, the coaching program, where it's much more involved and it's much more personal. Um, mm-hmm. It's you're getting 
you know, I can only talk for my program specifically is that all of my coaching programs start on the golf course, whether, and I should say, I should say this in a general sense, anybody that calls and wants to work with me in general, we will go on the golf course first. And I actually spend any between uh, three to nine holes in the golf course with the person for free. Um, just to get to know them. Uh, I get to sure. see what, where their game is. Um, um, and I, I see it as very, a time very well spent. Uh, we get to know them a little better, uh, get to talk, and get to know what kind of time investment, monetary investment they're looking to make. And then you can make, you know, you can make an offer to them to help because uh, that's all we're trying to do. Um, so you're looking at that as my personal approach, you know, and most of the time people are looking for a comprehensive approach to help them improve that, you know, I, I right. think that one off lesson is starting to show that, well, you can, you can't just take one. I think I, I've heard people say that to each other in the, in the member right. drill over and over again, you have to go back and, you know, my coaching program start on the golf course. We discuss things. We, I ask a lot of questions and I make it very clear up front. I said, when I'm asking questions, I'm not implying anything. I'm, I'm asking to understand. I want to understand sure. where you are. Um, you know, what a little bit of your approach is, you know, as we progress, we talk about, you know, what they're looking to do with um, their improvement programs. And, and we discuss after, and I write them an email after we're done and, and we, you know, we go from there. Uh, sometimes people just want to come see me, you know, you know, two, three, four times like you're talking about, or, right. um, you know, I had probably four or five people sign up for season long private coaching programs. Um, other people, I had, you know, 10 people in my group coaching program, which was very successful this past year. Um, and then you have these levels of investment for people to, to enable, to engage with you on their own accord. Um, you know, I think it's important too, and that's a great point. You know, Peter, I, I like the fact that you you get them up in the golf course um, first before really you you emphasize any of the specifics of your program because you know it's very easy to get somebody out in the driving range or the practice tee uh, hitting golf balls off a perfect lie. Um, you know, certainly they're going to hit a few bad shots in there, but most people, I think, if they've played any you know golf at all. Um, you know, on the practice tee can, can usually hit a pretty decent golf ball in most cases, unless they're literally um, a, a, an early beginner. Um, so it's not, really not a true assessment. Whereas taking them on the golf course, there's a couple of things that you're seeing. One, you're seeing them in real course, uh, in real-time situations, how they're handling uh, the, the execution of the golf shot, but also how they react and how they handle emotionally um, with whatever the scenario that you've presented them with. Um, and you see a little bit of their course management, how they set themselves up, um, their strategy um, during the round. And even though they might be only playing three holes, um, you're, you're getting a myriad of information that you're not going to get on the practice tee. So you're going to be able to, to formulate, if you will, a more effective uh, coaching program with somebody, I think, under that condition than you were just bringing them out on the range and letting them hit a, uh, you know, half a bucket of balls or so. Um, w would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. You know, just to go back to the mindset uh, aspect, I've you know had a little bit of a lull in the in the action here for the last two weeks, but I have been doing you know a number of on-course evaluations for people going into the winter coaching programs, 
over the past two weeks. And especially this time of year in the Northeast, it reveals a lot of the person's mindset. When right. You know, I've been very, very fortunate and very flattered that people are willing to go out on the golf course with me when it's 38 and 39 degrees. Right. Um, but <laughs> it, sho- it shows a lot of their mindset um, when things are going bad and when they get in an ad- adverse condition. Um, and it's very revealing. And, I, you know, it, fortunately, everybody that was there was very, very resoundingly positive. Um, no matter, and we're very optimistic about the whole surroundings, but, uh, it can go the other way as well. Um, just to elaborate on the, on the coaching aspect of the golf course, um, just to talk about a little more into the the group coaching specifically, Mm -hmm. um, people were able to, um, engage with me on a private sense. So it was a 12 week program. Everyone got three private lessons, including in that. Uh, each week there was uh, two men's scheduled group coaching sessions on two different days. Um, uh, two ladies' group coaching sessions were scheduled at two different days and times. Uh, they had access to either one or both of those programs, uh, or I should say sessions, I should say. And then Saturday right. afternoon was, was uh, game gamified training. I didn't call it supervised practice because uh, when we went to – and we in that setting we covered we were in whatever setting we covered in coaching that week. So if we covered right. um, distance wedges on the coaching, we were at doing distance wedges for uh, our gamified training. But everyone was giving constraint and consequences um, for every shot. Uh, they rotated through stations. It was uh, you know about an hour. We def- generally did about 45 minutes of it because it was fairly intensive. And then Sunday afternoon was on-course training. So once a week, uh, I either went on the golf course with them as a group or they were giving a, given, a again, a gamified training scorecard for them and their peers to go out and execute and uh, come up with a score that was not their uh, score for the whole, per se. didn't matter whether they made bogey or triple. Uh, they, I put a value, a point value on executing certain shots that we had discussed that day. So they might have right. started started from 40 yards. They might have played the entire hole. Um, by the end, our entire coaching program was on the golf course. By I think week nine through 12, we spent every session on the golf course. Wow, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, Peter, one thing that I think a lot of coaches uh, and, and teacher professionals, a problem that we all face um, probably more often than we'd like, um, is is the inability or unwillingness of players uh, and students to work on some of the, the fundamentals and some of the things that we're, you know, having them do in between our sessions. For example, if you're uh, working with groups in, in this case, and, and you know maybe it's uh, a two-week uh, or, or it might be even weekly um, where you've got them coming and doing on different things. What do you do to incentivize your students or players that you're working with to make sure that you're not just you know sort of spinning your wheels each week? Uh, you know, you've, you've worked on some things, and yeah, they're doing a great job during the sessions, um, but then they're not doing anything in between um, before the next session, what do you do to incentivize? Cause I'm sure you've experienced this yourself as, as I think pretty much everybody does, uh, that's in the profession, um, where players are, are coming for lessons, they're coming for programming, uh, you know, coaching programs, but they're just not implementing what we're talking about or what we're working on 
outside of the, that specific session. So what do you do to try to, you know, incentivize them to do that? It really goes, I mean, to, I mean, just to answer that within the programming, especially that group program, it wanted to make them accountable to that session. Um, I right. had, you know, obviously we're going to run into all different types of personalities sure. uh, while teaching and coaching people, but most of, most people felt accountable to coming to that session. So if you want to incentivize something, it, it needs, truthfully, I, I don't, and I'll explain what I do. Um, okay. I, I don't have any illusions that people have time to practice in the, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I give them within our sessions, ways that they can train this uh, either at home where they can train it in their backyard or they're going to very, very constructively use 20 minutes of their preciously free time doing X, Y, and Z to make that 20 minutes just as effective as spending two hours. Right. And I really, yeah. I really drive it home for them to understand that the the pre, the it's not I don't call it practice I call it training because it's completely sure. different. Right. You know, it's the people that I work with are allowed one ball at a time. They are to take. They're not allowed to dump out a pile of golf balls. Step number one. Mm-hmm. Most important. They're they're put the they put the, the bucket of balls they have probably about 10 feet away from their, their hitting station. So each time they're going to pick up one ball they're I have, I really emphasize them taking more time in between shots than they normally would. So they might right. spend 20 minutes, they might hit 10 golf balls, but they're going to, first of all, have time in between shots where they can process what they just did, actually have time to forget, what they're trying to work on, maybe one small aspect, and then they need to go back in and recall what they're working on. So every time mm-hmm. they go back in to hit the ball and they're recalling the aspect that they're working on, that that aspect becomes stronger and stronger every time it's recalled and remembered. And every time it's, uh, as well as strengthened, every time it's recalled, it's become more personalized. So it's it's putting spins on that. And I explain this to them. And they and that's what we're talking about information. Mm-hmm. And they go into their practice sessions much differently now. Even to the other end of the spectrum, I have probably three or four people that I work with that are are you know range rats for rat, <laughs> lack of a better term. They're down there three <laughs> you know two three hours a day, right? Um, because they love hitting golf balls. But I'll I'll be down there and I see them. Yeah proceeding much differently they're still spending the two hours there but they're not hitting an entire shag bag and a half or four of golf balls they're hitting a quarter as many but it's much more constructive and they they feel much more um (laughs) alert after i think that's one of the ways that was described to me (laughs) doesn't well i think feel uh like he needs to take a nap after right and i think really what you're doing in your in your coaching programs, Peter, is this, which I think is is phenomenal, is you're giving them the tools not only to succeed while they're out in the golf course, 
but to succeed um, when they're away from the golf course. And, and what I mean by that is um, you're exactly right. There's always going to be some people. I mean, I enjoy getting out in the, the driving range and, and hitting golf balls and that, but I always practice with the purpose. I don't just sit and rake and, and hit another golf ball and rake and hit another golf ball. Um, you know, I will, I, I certainly don't keep my, my, you know, uh, golf balls 10 feet away, but I, I pause between each shot and, you know, I take a step back and I regroup and I go through the whole process again before I hit the next shot. And I go through my pre-shot routine and I also go through mm-hmm. my thought process. What do I want to accomplish? If there's something specific that I'm working on, uh, on my own game, then I want to go through that. And if it's a process that might take, uh, you know, a couple of weeks that I want to work on, then that's all I'll work on. And I don't sit there because uh, again, one of the, the the problems that I've seen, and I don't know how many times I'm sure you've seen this as well as I have, where you know you might be on the range yourself uh, doing some things, just hitting some golf balls, and you'll look down and you'll see, you know, a half a dozen players or one player particularly that that's all they're doing is they're raking the next ball, they're hitting it, they're raking, they're not even paying attention to where the ball's going half the time, and they're not getting any benefit. So I, I like what you're you're talking about here is you're giving them specific tasks to work on. And you're making it and setting it up in such a way that there's a process. It's not just, you know, hitting the ball. There's a, there's a process before and a process after each shot that they hit on the range. Correct? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to talk about <laughs> the, I did run a, a small experiment earlier this year is that I went down to the driving range and I, I knew it was going to be a busy driving range day. So I set up the, the driving range to have uh, every bag of balls that we have, which is, you know, they're the nice stand titleist bags that, you know, right. brother, they hold a, an extraordinary amount of golf balls. I set them all up so that they were 10 to 12 feet away from the bag stand. <laughs> and I knew I was going to be down there all morning teaching. So, and I watched and was watching my watch, you know, my, my watch and to see how long it was going to take for all of the golf bags to go back up to the bag stand. And I think it was maybe 45 minutes. Right. Um, you know, initially people were, you know, pulling out a club, going to get a couple of golf balls, bringing it over, going to get a couple more, bringing it over. And after a while, after maybe two or three, maybe four trips at most, they grabbed the bag and they brought it over and dumped <laughs> the balls out and just proceeded to rake them out there. Um, so I think it's just something, again, that's been, you know, that's been done. Everyone, you know, in the past, I don't know, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, you went to the driving range and there was a, a bin next to your, your hitting zone where you can dump out your bucket and you just rake them yep. over and that's how it went. So I think... I think it's a little bit of an education thing, but, you know, to get to your point of the, you know, I, it's all about for me when I'm working with people on practicing and educating them on practice and I try to have them work within constraints and consequences. So whether it's a point system, um, whatever, I have one guy who does CrossFit that likes it once does burpees in between if he doesn't accomplish the task and, that's definitely on the the high end of the spectrum there. But um, I I really want them to take the time to have that gapping in between their shots and then have whatever they're doing on the range to have a consequence because this is going to most 
reflect will be closest to them actually playing golf. You're right. creating in an environment where it's as golf like as possible, as close to the game as possible. Um, the really the more time they're comfortable taking between shots, the more and more realistic it would get, and the and the better and better that their actually recall of each shot would be. Um, so you know, going indoors now, um, I'll be working a lot with that with people. Um, right. You know, actually having them do opposite tasks non-golf task after each shot um, and then have them maybe it'll probably be a minute a minute and a half in between shots but they're going to complete that task and then go back and execute a shot um, you know we're this is really again how you know the people who are the experts the motor learning experts the the, the PhDs and that are mm-hmm. much much smarter than any really golf professional can be are teaching us now. And, and just, these are the, you know, the methods that I look to employ just to help people, you know, play better and play longer and have more fun. Yeah. And that, that's a great way to, to wrap up the, the segment. Um, Peter, you're exactly right. And, you know, I've said this many, many times um, before, I think that, um, you know, certainly there's nothing wrong with, with some of the technology that's out there when used properly um, but there, there's also, as we talked, touched on a little bit tonight, some of the dangers too of getting too wrapped up in technology. Um, it, it can be, you know, on some levels, it can be detrimental um, mm-hmm. for those wanting to learn the game, but and also for those teaching the game. Ted, don't get me wrong, I have it, I use it. Oh, sure, it's a tool. <laughs> no, I, I know. It's a tool no, and to, I know. to have in your arsenal, right. and it's great for feedback. I'm not gonna. Right. I'm not completely right. knocking technology because I own a K-Vest, I use it. Uh, I, I, it's all about how you use it. I, I have a flight scope. I use it for combines, um, right. you know, for proximity to the whole data, strokes gained, especially now with measured practice coming out. It's going to really take things to a, a whole new level where you can, you know, really quantify things even more through that, through, for, through their services. So it's, uh, I'm really excited about what's coming up through the, through the winter. So uh, and I don't want to completely knock <laughs> The technology no, no, no. is really great. No, and, and neither am I. No, and I I've, right, and I've, I've made no bones about that on the show in the past. I mean, I think technology has a place, uh, and I think it is important. I think, you know, it, it, it's interesting and it's exciting to see um, the limits get pushed in that. But I think um, one of the things, and I've, again, made no bones about this, that I we have to guard against um, becoming too wrapped up and too ingrained in the technology that we're forgetting the students. And, and there are some out there, and we've seen it in, the, in some of the social media platforms that, that we get engaged in. They're fighting over which is better and why you should be doing this and you shouldn't do that. Uh, and, it's, and it's made it's for a, it's some... A, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's you a, know exactly it's what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, I know exactly. Um, I mean, uh, I'm in all these closed social media groups and all that, and I watch it all go down, and it's amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, I, I've... I've actually gotten to the point now where I've had to stop watching it because it's just, you know, you, you, you think it's going to be a great, interesting conversation. And then all of a sudden the, the, the barrage of comments come out and, and after a while it just becomes a, you know, he said, she said, and this isn't right. Yeah. And that isn't right. And the next yeah. thing you know, yeah. the, the, the specific question or topic that wasn't, is no longer being discussed. It, it becomes uh, yeah, exactly. something else. 
And, uh, you know, but anyways, um, Peter, I want to take this opportunity to, to thank you for, for um, coming on the show tonight. It's been interesting to, to get, uh, again, once again, a different perspective on, on, uh, on your philosophy and, and your approach to the game. Certainly some similarities to some of the other pros out there, but uh, some differences as well, which is refreshing. And I appreciate that. And uh, just give you a moment or two just to um, share with the audience if, if those that uh, are going to be coming up in your area or if they want to reach out to you, maybe with uh, – uh, some interest. Uh, how can they go about getting in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm at Taconic Golf Club uh, on the campus of Williams College. Uh, we're in Williamstown, Massachusetts, which is uh, the farthest northwestern town in Massachusetts. Uh, it's in the, the Berkshire region, which is uh, very beautiful, and the golf course is very beautiful. So uh, for those who are listening that not, are not local, I do have uh, I do spend the day with people. I do have a daily uh, coaching rate uh, but I am pretty prevalent on social media, so I do have a Facebook page under my, my full mm-hmm. name. Um, I do have um, Instagram, which is uh, at Daily Golf Coach. Uh, I have Twitter, which is at Daily Golf Pro. And uh, right now Snapchat is starting starting up, and that's uh, PE Golf Coach, or at PE Golf Coach if you want to search for that. Uh, I do have a website. It's uh, negolfpa.com. Uh, they, if you'd like to visit that, look at any of my programs, uh, just feel free to reach out. It's, uh, I make it as easy as possible to get in touch with me because uh, I'm here to help. Perfect. Uh, again, Peter, thank you very much for, for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight and sharing uh, your thoughts and input uh, and, and expertise in the game. I, I appreciate it always. My guests have given of their time. And as I mentioned to you before, uh, and I'll be sending it out shortly, uh, I would love for you to uh, – uh, obviously, come back again any time that you, you uh, feel so inclined, but I'm going to get you, uh, if you're interested still, to uh, maybe become part of the Coach's Corner uh, segments. We're winding down this year, so there's not really too many more shows uh, in that area, but uh, I'll get out the 2017 schedule will be coming out shortly, and I'd love for you to, to sign up uh, maybe for a few of those and, and throw your hat in the ring and, and join with some of your other fellow coaching professionals and teaching professionals uh, some of your thoughts and inputs uh, in that dialogue and discussion. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll look forward to talking to you about that. All right, perfect. Uh, again, Peter, thank you very much for, for joining me tonight on, on Golf Talk Live, and uh, you have a great weekend. You as well. Thanks, Ted. All right. Thanks, Peter. Have Bye-bye. Uh, that was my very special guest this evening, uh, PGA uh, member uh, Peter Agazarian, up in the northeastern part of the United States, up in Massachusetts, up in Williamstown. Uh, at the Taconic uh, Golf Club, you can go to TaconicGolf.com. Uh, I believe is the uh, the website. Yes, Taconic Golf, and it's spelled T-A-C-O-N-I-C uh, Golf dot uh, com. Or you can visit his uh, website, which is uh, negolfpa.com as well. And as he mentioned, uh, he is all through uh, various uh, forms of social media, Facebook page, and that. And his last name is spelled E-G-A-Z. A-R-I-N, and it's Peter Agazarian, uh, PGA Golf Professional. So make sure that you check out his various social media sites uh, and also his websites uh, that we just mentioned uh, if you want to uh, connect with him and, and uh, see if he, maybe he can help your game, particularly if you're going to be up in his area. Um, as always, I want to thank you, the listeners, uh, and I particularly want to thank my Coach's Corner panel, uh, Allison Kurt, Michael Wheeler, and uh, Brandon Stukesbury for uh, – 
popping in tonight and uh, sharing their thoughts and expertise earlier as well. So thank you guys uh, and ladies for uh, for joining in on the on the discussion. And I want to thank you all of the uh, listeners uh, worldwide for worldwide, excuse me, for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live each week. And again, I apologize for last week's uh, Coach's Corner. Uh, not getting underway as, as originally planned, but uh, those things do happen, and, and I understand. And um, I certainly will uh, put uh, Clint and, and uh, Tony through the paces next time for sure. Um, but I certainly do have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teach professionals, and authors, and entrepreneurs stop by. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Uh, a special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird, uh, from South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com uh, to learn how you can get a copy of the guide and it covers uh, really a, a myriad of golf course here in the southeastern part of the United States. If you're planning on a trip uh, in the ne- near future, you can go to southcoastgolfguide.com and learn more about some of the great courses that are in the southeast here from literally from Texas right over here to uh, northwest Florida uh, in all states in between. Uh, Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf. Uh, great young lady as well, been a guest many times on the show and always appreciate her. She's out in uh, the Myrtle Beach area. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, uh, thank you for all of your continued support as well, spreading the word. Mr. Bernie Pinder from onticgolf.com, a uh, great line of customized putters. Sean Kelly, uh, owner of linkedgolfers.com, and of course, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you guys uh, for all of your continued support. And uh, on that note, uh, again, thank you for joining me this evening on Golf Talk Live, and I look forward to joining me next time right here on Golf Talk Live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Thanks, guys. God bless, and everybody have a great weekend.